This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. One of Shakespeare's most famous lines from his play, Julius Caesar, is beware the Ides of March. It was a warning to Caesar that people were out to get him. The prophecy turned out to be true, and on March 15th of 44 BC, Caesar was stabbed to death on the Senate floor. And by who? By the same politicians who had helped him get there. His close advisor, Brutus, who'd organized the hit, told his fellow statesmen, and I quote, when asked why Brutus rose against Caesar, this is my answer. It's not that I love Caesar less, but that I loved Rome more. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. I bring up Brutus and the death of Caesar because I myself have testified against Trump 20 times. Not because I hate the man, but because I love my country too much to stay quiet. And quite recently, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office indicated that Trump may soon be facing criminal charges. He was given the option to testify before the grand jury this week. Now, we'll see, but I guess he's not going to do it. But it's just an odd coincidence that this is happening to our corrupt former president during the Ides of March. Unfortunately, until there's an actual indictment, I'm not really at liberty to say too much. But let's start with a brief history of the case. And we begin tonight with a saga of Stor- with the saga of Stormy Daniels, a story that started a long time ago in 20 2006 to be exact. It was the year adult film actress Daniels, whose legal name is Stephanie Clifford, said she met Donald Trump at a celebrity golf tournament and that the two allegedly began an affair. Trump was married to Melania by then. Daniels was 27 years old at the time, and Trump was 60. There had been whispers of the affair for a while. Remember, Trump was a real estate mogul and tabloid darling back then. But what was once gossipy tea became a problem, a huge problem, when Trump the Apprentice star became Trump the American president. During the last days of Trump's 2016 campaign, just weeks after grabbing by the pussy, Stormy Daniels contacted the National Enquirer to sell her story about an affair that she'd had with Trump. David Pecker, who published the Enquirer, had already run a catch and kill on Playboy model Karen McDougal's story. And after paying out 150 grand to her, he didn't want to pick up the tab for Stormy Daniels' story too. So he brokered a deal. At the behest of Donald Trump, I paid Daniels 130 grand and Trump paid me back. Truth is, Stormy Daniels is as tough as they come. I'm not a liar and I am not a gold digger. And I did not do this because I'm starved for attention. I just wanted to stand up for myself and set the record straight and prove I wasn't lying. I think I've pretty effectively done that. You know, the message is very clear, don't mess with me. Because the hush money I paid to Stormy Daniels amounted to an improper Trump campaign donation, I pled guilty to federal campaign finance charges in 2018 and ended up in Otisville State Prison. But Trump, or individual number one as the court referred to him as, was not charged at the time. However, to quote the New York Times, in the days after Mr. Cohen's guilty plea, the district attorney's office opened its own criminal investigation into the matter. 
While the federal prosecutors were focused on Mr. Cohen, the district attorney's inquiry would center on Mr. Trump. And, and the charges here are based on the premise that that payment was not properly accounted for under New York, New York state law within the Trump organization. And that would be a misdemeanor, but to elevate it to a felony, uh, it, it would have to be in concert with another crime. And, and the potential crime there is, is a improper campaign contribution. This $130,000 could be seen as a campaign contribution to Donald Trump because he was running for president at the time and he wanted to tamp down on this story that he was uh, allegedly having an affair with this porn actress. Remember when I said that Trump paid me back? Well, he did in monthly installments that the Trump Organization falsely accounted as legal expenses for a retainer agreement that didn't actually exist. Donald was just trying to hide the hush money paper trail. And that's the crime. There are more crimes involved here too, but that one is the linchpin. Trump still maintains that he never had an affair with Daniels, and for a while he was toying with the absurd fucking defense that he hide the payments to me because he didn't want Melania to know he was being blackmailed by a porn star. Well, seriously, good luck with that one. The First Lady has remained silent on the matter. In fact, soon after the story broke, Melania Trump canceled a previously announced trip to Davos, Switzerland with her husband, quietly visited the Holocaust Museum in D.C., and made an unexplained solo trip to Mar-a-Lago. The White House telling CNN the First Lady is entitled to some privacy. Instead of the vulgar headlines and talk of hush money, Mrs. Trump has remained focused on her duties as First Lady and at least at times, keeping her distance from the president. And of course, Trump will try and delay court proceedings for as long as humanly possible. He somehow thinks that if he gets the GOP nomination, it will be his get out of jail free card. But I don't think so. Because it's hard to run for the presidency when you're running from the law as well. And if predictions are correct, once an indictment is filed, the floodgates will open and multiple indictments will follow. So clearly the public has been hearing from prominent and highly regarded prosecutors for six years now that Donald Trump has committed crimes and nothing has happened. What are the stakes in your mind of showing that we do not live in a country with two standards of justice? So I think that is exactly the right question. Um, you know, a lot of people have been saying, is this really the crime that you should start with if you're thinking about the first charges against a former president? And I do not think that's the way that Alvin Bragg is going to be looking at it. And I don't think that's what the rule of law requires. I think that a way a prosecutor would look at this is not how does this compare to other crimes that Donald Trump may have committed, but rather, is this a crime that is prosecuted? Should we be leaving him aside? And I think one answer to that is Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen, as you pointed out, has done jail time in part for doing this, and he is less culpable on this crime than the person he did it for. Trump has manipulated the justice system for so long that he thinks that he might actually be untouchable. But New York-based attorney Andrew Lieb told Newsweek that Trump's current political standing is meaningless. The Manhattan DA's case against Donald Trump is huge, and the fact that there's been no indictment yet, or that Trump is running for president or performing at CPAC, means absolutely nothing. I mean, that's what Lieb said. Trump is a con man. He asked me to pay off an adult film star with whom he had an affair. And this was days before the election that Mr. Trump 
was going to pay the $130,000. In the office with me was Alan Weisselberg, the chief financial officer of the Trump Organization. He acknowledged to Alan that he was going to pay the $130,000 and that Alan and I should go back to his office and figure out how to do it. The case against Trump won't just be fought in the courtroom. The disastrous effects of his presidency are playing out in real time. Trump's brilliant deregulation of the railways has come back to haunt Republicans in the form of East Palestine. And in yet another weird twist, Norfolk Southern Railways was actually testifying before Congress on Thursday, I mean trying to save their own asses, when one of their trains crashed in Piedmont, Alabama. I mean you can't make this shit up. Just the day before, a rock slide in West Virginia derailed the CSX transportation train, injuring three and spilling diesel oil into a nearby river. Democrats better figure out a way pretty quick to make it clear to folks that these are Trump's policies that are killing them and not Joe Biden's. Mr. Chairman, I'm not exaggerating when, when I say that you have called before you two witnesses who pose a direct threat to people who oppose them. It's funny when people have to go through that. Exactly. This is unacceptable. I'm ready for it. I don't know if a lot of other people are. But just as it was unacceptable for Kevin McCarthy to provide 41,000 hours of sensitive security footage to a biased talking head in an effort to rewrite what happened on January 6th. This is a new Republican playbook, apparently. Mr. Risk Chairman. American safety and security to score a political point. And speaking of hearings, Oversight Chairman Jim Jordan couldn't lead a dog on a leash. But in perhaps the most arrogant fucking display of Jim's ignorance yet, last Thursday's weaponization circus was a real barn burner. I believe both of these individuals who are getting ready to testify, I believe they're both Democrats. The idea that two journalists who Did happen to be Democrats- Did you not give Democrat, that offer you know, at I, 8 o'clock last I'm night? i now. Your time was, rec uh, was uh, ended We're Neither of us ago. are in time. I don't think they're here to help us politically. I think they're here to tell us the truth. And oh, by the way, the first- FTC letter to Twitter after the first set of Twitter files, the very first question was, who are the journalists you're talking to? And you guys don't care. You don't care. This was the second weaponization hearing featuring testimony from supposed liberal journalists Matt Taibbi and Michael Schaumberger of the Twitter file fame. I mean, these useful idiots were given access by Elon Musk to some cherry-picked communications that Republicans insist show that right-wing viewpoints were suppressed on Twitter. So where the fuck is the proof? Well, the answer is, they have none. But the hearing was the sort of shit show that should piss the hell out of taxpayers. It was a baseless waste of time. But. If you like hearing Democrats outmaneuver slow-witted Republicans and their self-important witnesses, I'd like to present some best of moments for your listening pleasure. Mr. Tybee, do you think it's a legitimate pursuit of the FBI to try to stop foreign interference in our elections? Again, sir, will I be allowed to answer this question or, or... It's a yes or no question. Do you think it's a legitimate pursuit of the FBI? It's not a yes stop. or no answer. Elon Musk spoon-fed you his cherry-picked information, 
which you must have suspected promotes a slanted viewpoint or at the very least generates another right-wing conspiracy theory. You violated your own standard and you appear to have benefited from it. When in fact the evidence is the Trump White House most certainly attempted to control content at Twitter. Mr. Schellenberger, were you aware of that? Or is this all news to you? I, I already answered that question. Taibbi, um, I want to follow up a little bit on the ranking members' questions. Um, when was the first time that Mr. Musk approached you about writing uh, uh, the Twitter files? Again, Congresswoman, that would... Uh, I just need a date, sir. But I can't give it to you, unfortunately, because this this is a question of sourcing, and I don't give them. I'm it's a journalist. A, I don't reveal my source. It's a question of chronology. No, that's a question because of sourcing. Because you earlier said that, that someone had sent you through the Internet some message about whether or not you would be interested in some information. Yes, and I refer to that person as a source. So you're not going to tell us when Musk first approached you? Again, Congressman, when you're asking me to yes no. you're asking a journalist to reveal so a source. So then you consider Mr. Musk to be the direct source of all this? No, now you're you're trying to get me to say that he is the source. I I, I, well, I just can't answer your question. Well, he is or he isn't. Source. If you're telling me you can't answer because it's your source, well then that the only logical conclusion is that he is in fact your source. Mr. Chairman, yeah. You have repeatedly said that this committee is all about protecting the first amendment. Mhm. Mm and what's unfortunate here is that we are talking about Twitter and that we are not talking about Republican government officials around the country who are banning books. And we are not talking about... Would the Donald gentleman you? No, I will not. And we are not talking about Donald Trump jailing his former counsel to prohibit him from publishing a book that the president did not want. The former president literally jailed his enemy. And we're here talking about Twitter. Twitter. And even with Twitter, you cannot find actual evidence of any direct government censorship of any lawful speech. And when I say lawful, I mean non-criminal speech because Plenty I'll of give you speech one. is non-criminal. I'll give you one. The gentleman's time to expire. I'd ask unanimous consent to enter into the record the following email from Clark Humphrey, Executive Office of the Presidency, White House Office, January 23rd, 2021. That's the Biden administration, 4.39 a.m. Hey, folks. This goes to um, Twitter. Hey, folks, wanted to use the term Mr. Mr. He used, they use the term Mr. Mr. Goldman just used. Wanted to flag the below tweet and I'm wondering if we can get moving on the process for having it removed ASAP. Boom. That is. Could you read the below tweet? And then if we can keep an eye out for tweets that fall in this same genre, a genre that would be great. This is a tweet on ve the very issue that Ma uh, Thomas uh, can you just, brought. For I the fullness of the record, can you re re uh, read the, because I've not seen this, can you read the tweet that it's referencing? I don't have the tweet here with me, but the gentleman's oh, point was, w tell us, you said no time did government try to tell uh, Twitter to take that, to explicitly remove something and- No, I said explicitly says, remove lawful speech. Lawful speech. We're gonna conflate. The first amendment does not, is not absolute. Twitter, this is something from Robert Kennedy Jr. But. For so the record, I, I assume that's lawful it's a point speech. of order, Mr. Chair. Frankly, I think they're brave individuals for being willing to come after they've been named in a letter from the Biden FTC. 
Is this your question time now? No, I'm responding to your ridiculous oh. statements you made in your in your opening statement. Okay, well, let's get on with it. Oh, now we want to get on with it. So you I can did. say all the things you want. And I, point I did out in the my facts. opening statement as well as you facts. had an opening statement. The you chair. said what you needed to say in your opening statement, and I, as the ranking member, have Without used objection, my time. Without objection, all other opening statements will be included in the record. We will introduce today's witness, Matt Taibbi. And apparently, white supremacists can't handle it when an accomplished black woman beats their ass in a war of words. But there it is, folks. The misdeeds of federal agencies might be vast, but we would never know it under the direction of Jim Jordan. Last week, a 316-page report compiled by Democrats shows that the people interviewed by panel investigators not only failed to provide any evidence of wrongdoing, but are also entirely lacking in credibility. This shit might be good for a Fox News clip, but it sucks for the American people. So last Congress, I did something radical and extreme. Because remember, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's so extreme. <laughs> but it doesn't end there. No, House Republicans are now investigating the treatment of the January 6th defendants, who they refer to as political prisoners on the grounds of human rights abuses. I mean, just like fucker Carlson's whitewash tourism video, it's all part of a January 6th page one rewrite that the GOP is trying to convince us is real. And casting the criminals as victims is par for Republicans. But 518 people have already pled guilty to federal crimes so far. And the DOJ has plans to arrest hundreds more. So good fucking luck. Well, undeniably, it seems like between Tucker Carlson and Marjorie Taylor Greene, there's a movement, at least this week, to sort of reframe the quote-unquote victims of January 6th as the defendants themselves, right? We know that Marjorie Taylor Greene, I believe, um, have sent a letter to the D.C. mayor over the treatment of January 6th detainees in D.C. jail. They are going there to visit them, to check on how they're doing. Then there's Marjorie Taylor Greene, who says that incarcerated rioters have been denied access to a Bible and that Christians are being discriminated against. I mean, really? They also claim that the FBI manipulated or mishandled January 6 case files. But again, where is the evidence? Yes, DC jails are terrible. All jails are terrible. But if the rioters hadn't stormed the Capitol, well, they wouldn't be there in the first place. But let's even go a step further. If Green and her cohorts hadn't incited the insurrection, well, they really wouldn't be there. So now a complete change of subject. But there are strange things going on in the financial sector right now. Biden's job numbers Friday were great. I mean, all things considered. We added over 311,000 jobs in February, despite higher interest rates. Wages grew, not by much, but the central question remains, are Biden's numbers good enough for the Fed to stop raising rates? And for him to claim that his economic plans are working, especially as he unveils his new budget plans that includes raising taxes on those making over 400000 a year. And Friday marks the end of a rough week for the banking industry. Reuters estimates U.S. banks have lost over $100 billion in start market value over the past two days. The FDIC, which insures deposits and supervises financial institutions, 
also took control of Silicon Valley Bank and its 300 billion in assets and deposits. But Friday, there was a literal bank run on one of the most prominent leaders in the tech sector. The 40-year-old Silicon Valley Bank struggling under the weight of bad decisions and panicked customers. It collapsed, forcing the federal government to step in. The bank's failure is the second largest in U.S. history and the largest since the financial crisis of 2008. Now, it could be a canary in a coal mine or just more bad news for the tech industry. Now, either way, I bet customers of Silicon Valley Bank are glad that they're covered by the FDIC and we'll be keeping tabs on this story as well. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to our show my good friend Norm Eisen. There's pretty much nothing going on in politics today that Eisen doesn't have an educated opinion about. Norm is the CNN legal analyst and the founder and executive chair of States United Democracy Center, a nonpartisan organization advancing free, fair, and secure elections. Eisen served as special counsel to President Barack Obama on ethics, and in that role, he was dubbed Mr. No and the ethics czar because he's well known for his tough anti-corruption approach to governance. Eisen is also active with the Brookings Institute and other groups working to expose the myriad of ways that Trump and others like him broke the law and attempted to overturn the 2020 election. Eisen is also working with the Brookings Institute to help Ukraine recover and thrive once Putin's war has ended. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Norm, welcome back to the show. As always, we have a lot to talk about, so let's just jump right into it. And let's start talking about the Dominion case. I'm fascinated by it. What do you predict will happen with their lawsuit against Fox? And... I've heard you say that you think that Dominion will win. What does that look like? In terms of what will happen with their lawsuit against Fox, they have a very powerful case. And um, um, and as you say, I believe that, uh, that they'll be successful. The only question is, in my mind, the main question is proving the damages. Let me unpack that a little bit. First, by saying how nice it is to be back with you on Mea Culpa, Michael, and with all your listeners. Uh, I get such strong feedback on social media whenever I'm here with you, and uh, and I really look forward to it. Uh, so um, the uh, it is not easy to um, succeed uh, in a libel case against a uh, major media outlet. In the United States, we have freedom of speech, the protection of the First Amendment, and that that gives Fox News and its hosts very broad latitude uh, to speak about things. Uh, Often they uh, 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 speak, say, the unspeakable, reprehensible. I disagree, but doesn't mean you can sue them. However, If a plaintiff like Dominion can meet the extremely high legal standard of actual malice, and this case has been such a blockbuster, we're now talking about this um, 
on cable, in print, on podcasts like yours, if you can meet the, the standard of actual malice by showing that Fox News broadcast lies about Dominion knowing they were false or with reckless disregard for the truth, then uh, you can win your case. And I think the evidence that um, Dominion has uncovered here, and remember, we're only seeing part of it. A lot of it is still redacted. Imagine when we get it all at trial in April. Um, But even what we're seeing publicly, it shows that uh, just like Donald Trump basically kept two sets of books, so did Fox News when it came to reporting. They had their private views that the claims that Dominion uh, was somehow part of uh, hijacking the 2020 election away from Trump in Biden's favor. Uh, The private views that that was, to quote one of the management, BS, crazy, absurd, ridiculous. I mean, there's documents, deposition testimony, texts, emails. It's unbelievable the the, um, uh, ridicule that they heap on Sidney Powell and the others who pervade these false claims privately, but then publicly. Fox is letting uh, its hosts endorse these views. And that's Hannity, that's uh, Maria Bartiromo, it's Lou Dobbs, it's uh, Janine Pirro, and even Tucker Carlson, privately very disdainful, did do some public challenges, but he let Mike Lindell come on his show unchecked, okay? That's an endorsement. And that opens you up to liability. Now, as I said, the only question will be how much harm Dominion suffered. That's the damages, uh, the actual damages. And then how many times can those damages be multiplied punitive because they're so unrepentant? Uh, Rupert Murdoch refused to apologize despite all the harm he's done. So I think they're going to get damages. They're going to get a multiplier they Dominion says they have damages over a billion dollars, so that will go to the jury, and then we'll see if the jury multiplies it. Could be a big number, Mike. I agree with you, but here's the crazy thing. So, according to the way the we'll call it the timeline works out, so Dominion brings that 2020 lawsuit right after the um, allegations and so on, and of course, as you stated, they bring in that lawsuit, they allege recklessly disregarding the truth and that they push these various pro-Donald Trump conspiracy theories about the election technology company because the lies were good for Fox's business. All right. So in then a statement that Fox News makes, they then go ahead and they accuse Dominion of distortions misinformation, and misattributing quotes as part of an attempt to smear Fox News and trample on free speech and freedom of the press. I mean, this case this case has all of the makings for a movie, if you think about it, right? Then Dominion goes yeah, about... Yeah, it does. Well, they'll be writing... They'll be writing books about this case for sure. Sure. So then you have Dominion... I mean, I'm sure journalists are already selling... Uh, book proposals about this case, and we only know half of it. So yes, there's a movie in the future. Okay, so then Dominion 
turns around and says that the emails, texts, and deposition testimony speak for themselves. I mean, this is that, it's like a, a ping pong match, right? Back and forth, back and forth. And then we welcome all scrutiny of our evidence because it all leads to the same place. Fox knowingly spread lies causing enormous damage to an American company, meaning Dominion. I mean, then, of course, you have fucker Carlson going on and talking about how even after he's sending out texts and emails and so on to a whole slew of people, how he passionately hates Donald and how this is all bullshit and yeah. that we should stop spreading yeah. these lies. What does he do? He goes ahead and he continues on Fox News in promoting the same lie. He's he just this that was he did that just this week uh, in airing the tape about uh, the supposed uh, true tape about the January 6th uh, insurrection, which was denounced uh, his show, uh, his misrepresentations denounced by Republicans in Congress who said we had a dangerous violent uprising here on January 6th. But as part of that, he's saying there are unanswered questions and doubts about the 2020 election. There are no unanswered questions. There are no doubts. He's still pandering. He's doing it a little more carefully. That's why, uh, but he's pandering to these uh, Trump supporters, the hardcore who don't want to hear that Trump lost the 2020 election. And Michael that attitude, even though Tucker Carlson's show in 2023 is not going to be part of the case technically, uh, that attitude is also captured by Rupert Murdoch's refusal to apologize, which is part of the case. And he agreed with this statement. He gave motive. They asked him, it's not red or blue. It's green. It's not about the politics, about the money. He agreed. So. Um, I think that's why Dominion will be able to establish damages and then multiply those damages several times over uh, because uh, there's that the bad conduct, the unrepentant conduct, the immoral behavior of Fox. It's still going on, and the jury is going to, I believe, punish that. I think they're going to punish you that. You know what I find the funniest is and I know this because when the FBI came and they took my phones and they released about 10 million documents of mine they had access and control over, you didn't see anything there other than, of course, that one uh, recording of mine where I had taped Trump in regard to the setting up for Karen McDougal and so on. But here, there's a whole slew of fun stuff. And I'm really curious. I wish I had like a, uh, a drone that would fly over Mar-a-Lardo and I can capture Donald's expression when he was reading that Tucker Carlson wrote in a text message that he hated then President Donald Trump Passionately. Passionately. Right? Passionately. And then, you know, he's, then he writes, we are very, very close to being able to ignore Trump most nights. Right? I truly can't wait. I hate him passionately, he then continued, right? I blew up at Peter Navarro today in frustration. I actually like Peter, but I can't handle much more of this. Right? That's the last four years, you know, 
uh, Tucker continued on, we're all pretending we've got a lot to show for it because admitting what a disaster it's been is too tough to digest. But come on, there isn't really an upside to Trump. I mean, these are really expressive text messages of a disdain. I mean, these are the kind of shit that you would hear come out of my mouth on a text message. Yet, these people go back right onto the air and they praise Trump and they continue with his conspiracy lies. You know, do you know the expression, uh, to know him is to love him. When it comes to Donald Trump, to know him apparently is to hate him. Did I ever tell you about my dinner with Donald? No. Do share, my friend, do share. I'll I'll come back to that uh, in a second. Um, so what Tucker is experiencing is similar to what you have described to me. And indeed, I look at the effect it had on your life on the way Trump draws you in, then when you get to know him, you see the depths he's capable of, you come to hate him. My experience, I see, I saw the charm of the guy. Uh, I was a guest of the Washington Post uh, for the, at the infamous White House Correspondents' Dinner where Obama roasted Trump. And supposedly it was one of the determinants of the decision to run for president. And uh, I chatted with him. Melania was there. Didn't say a word all night. She looked great. She didn't say a word all night. Um, And um, Trump uh, was as charming as could be, Michael. He asked me, you know, I was the ambassador at the time to the Czech Republic. He joked with me. So I know all about the Czechs because, of course, he had been married to Ivana. And very intelligent questions, very pleasant. And I was seated just a few feet away from him. You can find me on C-SPAN laughing my head off when Obama starts roasting him, seated basically right next to him. (laughs) And he is stone-faced. He is abs like the great stone face. He froze in rage. And afterwards, I called my mom when my mom was living. Uh, I like to call her and tell her about notable events. I talk to her basically every day. And I I said, Mom, I met Donald Trump. Uh, I met Melania. We spent the evening. We were chatting and seated the Washington Post. And I said, Mom, he will never be president because he has no sense of humor. And I did not think the American people would want somebody. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah. So let me then ask you this question. Is there any scenario that you see where Fox has to tell their viewers the truth on air? Um, There's one scenario. And that is where Fox uh, is forced by the jury in this case and by uh, the size of the verdict to reach some kind of consensual agreement while the appeal is going on before the appeal. Um, And as part of that, they need to admit, just like we got uh, Jen Ellis to admit uh, this week, that they uh, broadcast lies about the 2020 election. 
my organization, uh, States United, was among those filing complaints against um, Ellis with the Colorado Bar, and she has just entered a um, a consent decree. She agreed to be censured, Michael. She got a public censure by the bar, and she was forced to admit mis- that she made misrepresentations about the 2020 election. She had to admit she lied. Well, that's because she did. Um, and um, so I think that's the beauty of the legal system. If there's a settlement, otherwise, and they may decide that they just will pay. They may just write the check, litigate it, appeal. If everything else fails, just write the check. Otherwise, I think there's, uh, I think there's no uh, hope of getting them to tell the truth. I don't see them volunteering to do it. And of course, they're not reporting on the Dominion case, so their viewers are not learning about this. Do you know that more Democrats watch Fox News than uh, any of the other cable networks? I saw that statistic this week. I was very amazed. Why? Because it's entertaining. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, listen, bullshit is entertaining. There's no doubt about that one. But, you know, it's there's some there's some hate watching that goes on. Sure. There's some, you know, wanting to understand the other side. Look, in professional wrestling, I don't know if you ever were a professional wrestling fan. It's also com- like Fox News. It's a completely made up sham. They got a hero and a villain. People know it's made up. They know it's phony. They still turn in. Hundreds of millions of people turn in to watch. You got a hero and a villain. I think those Democrats are... You know, watching the villains yeah. on Fox News is entertaining. You know, everybody keeps talking about, oh, my God, it's a $1.6 billion lawsuit to what's going to happen if Fox has to pay it. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but if you look at their quarterly filings, I mean, they're sitting with like $5 billion in cash just yeah. in the reserve. $4 in, billion Yeah, or $4 billion. Just over, yeah, just over $4 billion, yeah. It's not an issue for Rupert Murdoch. With Fox News to write well, to write the check, it's not as if though there's not other money coming in. And what I'm really curious is how much money did they actually earn as a direct result of perpetuating the lie? That to me, I think is interesting. Yeah. First of all, Dominion says they have damages of 1.6 billion. If they get a treble damage award on punitives because Fox's behavior is so outrageous, that will be more than they have cash on hand. That's number one. So that's that's not a small number. Now we'll see how that materializes. Number two, Fox could have other legal worries here. They had some communications with Jared Kushner where they shared information they weren't supposed to. Is that a campaign contribution? That's number one. They did not disclose any of this to the shareholders. Do they have shareholder derivative claims? Um, Absolutely. Issues? Sure. Derivative SEC. Is there an SEC investigation of this stuff that is possible? Third, could they be exposed for breach of fiduciary duty? The board members personally liable for breach of fiduciary duty. So there's a variety of additional legal problems that could emerge from this. Uh, and I think that it is affecting Fox's credibility. I actually believe that this Dominion case is one of the signal moments, Michael, of the um, era of Trump. It's been going on for six years. Uh, you've been on both sides of it. You've seen it from both sides. 
uh, more than six years. Um, the January 6th committee hearings and report, that was an important uh, moment. The impeachments, those were very important moments. I was privileged. That's how you and I met, became friends. First impeachment, you helped so much. Um, and, but and I think the coming criminal charges, which I believe we are going to see criminal charges in uh, Manhattan. I won't ask you to comment since you're the most important witness in that case. But in Manhattan, in Georgia, uh, where I think Fonnie Willis is going to charge, very likely going to charge Trump federally, at least on Mar-a-Lago. But this Dominion case takes its place with those historic events, like in Watergate, you know, in our history books now, they have pictures. Uh, and uh, you have a central role in all this, because just like John Dean has emerged, if you say, ask people to associate Watergate, they say Woodward, Bernstein, Nixon, John Dean. I think when people ask about this era, you have a similar role as a truth teller. You step forward, you did the right thing. So I think the Dominion case is very important part of the era. I totally agree with you. So let me ask you this then. Tucker Carlson's selective version of events on January 6th, right, was taken from the footage that was given to him exclusively by Kevin McCarthy. But you've said Capitol Police are implicated in the footage. Could you do me a favor? Explain that and how. I think the Capitol Police did the right thing. Uh, so I don't, um, you know, I don't have any uh, grudge of any kind with the with the Capitol Police. The, um, in fact, I think one of the most outrageous parts that shocked me, Michael, was when Tucker dragged the name of uh, Brian Sicknick. Disgusting. Whose uh, death was caused. And I, he, he, he said the most vile things. Uh, he desecrated the memory of Brian Sicknick. So um, I, I think that's, that's, that's a scandal. That's an absolute scandal. And Tucker's going to, you know, and Tucker, Tucker is, he was denounced. You don't usually see the Republican members of Congress, the Senate, uh, denounce him and Fox News the way they did. Really, he, he, what he did was so shameful. You know what I think? I think he knew these documents were coming out. And he was influenced in part, like insurance, from saying he hates Trump passionately or trashing Trump's election fraud claims over and over again as the bogus BS they are. So he tried to do these shows to expiate his sins. Okay, then talk about another asshole. You got Mike Lindell, right? The MyPillow guy. He's now suing McCarthy over the January 6th footage, stating that McCarthy violated the First Amendment freedom of the press provision and the 14th Amendment equal protection clause mm -hmm. by only sharing the footage with Tucker Carlson. I mean, first of all, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. I don't understand Mike Lindell's standing in this case, but does he have a case at all here? Does Lindell have a case? Absolutely not. The guy is one of the worst hucksters, fraudsters, scammers. Uh, and, you know, he is the single most unrepentant of them all. So uh, it, really one of the worst people in America. I mean, but where does he come off I, with this lawsuit? I totally agree. 
with one thing that he says, that it should not have been exclusively given. That's if you believe that it should have been given at all. Why only was it given by McCarthy to Tucker Carlson? I mean, I do believe that that is improper. If it's going to be given, it should be given to CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS. It should be given to Newsmax, to anybody who is considered a legitimate news source should have access to the same footage. I just don't understand why is why is McCarthy himself not being censored or reprimanded by Congress? I, I don't get it. Or by the Senate, for that matter. By somebody. Yeah. You know, what McCarthy did was so wrong. Um, but it backfired on him. It, 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 it was, uh, you know, the expression self-own. It was a self-condemnation uh, because McCarthy's implicated in this scandalous um, Tucker Carlson abuse of the footage, abuse of what happened, abuse of the truth and Michael. Um, McCarthy, even McCarthy doesn't praise Carlson. He simply says, well, I don't take a position. I'm putting it out there. Let everybody benefit from it. Well, if you really want everybody to benefit from it, he said this property is the, this footage is the property of the American people. Then give it to all the news outlets, not to one, right? So fortunately, people are not so stupid. And this has been roundly condemned by everyone. Understood. However, what you're beginning to see now is that January 6th defendants are trying to use, you know, this Tucker Carlson video to delay either their trial or to exonerate them, showing and what we already know is that these bits and pieces, these short clips that are coming out of what Tucker Carlson had, they're now being used by these defendants to claim, hey, look, this is exactly the opposite of the allegations that the prosecutors are bringing. This is the danger. You agree with that? Yes, I agree with it. I, I think the danger is profound. Um, and, you know, it, it's a perilous moment. I've been talking lately to veterans, those who served on the January 6th committee and their staff, ex-staff. And um, thank goodness, Michael, we had that process to really sear, to burn the truth in, to brand the truth on all of our consciousnesses, because there is this terrible danger of historical revisionism. When we were in the midst of the election, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post comparing um, Holocaust denial, Holocaust revisionism to what Trump was doing. I think it might have been one of the first uh, origins of the term election denial, common term. And uh, we have to continue to fight for the truth because otherwise the lies will wipe us out. And that is very perilous. Yeah. So as an example, in a Newsweek article, they turn around the lawyers for this January 6th defendant. I think his name is Shane Jenkins um, or Shane Jenkins. Mm. He's currently being mm -hmm. held in jail and he's awaiting, obviously, trial. Accused of throwing a pole a desk drawer, a pipe, and a flagpole at the police during the storming of the Capitol. Now his legal team 
are saying and they're arguing that the 41,000 hours of this newly released video, right, includes footage that they haven't seen before and that they need to review it in order to help their defense. This is crazy stuff, right? I mean, this is exactly the sense of denialism that you keep talking about. It, it's crazy. The uh, a motion to continue based on the 41,000 hours was thrown out by the court the other day. You know, the courts have been pretty good, Michael, in holding up, and juries have been pretty good in holding up to the onslaughts of falsehoods that uh, the likes of... Uh, Trump and these January 6th insurrectionists have fobbed off on them. Uh, we're coming to the end of the Proud Boys uh, criminal trial. We'll see what happens uh, in in this uh, very important case. Um, but I don't think that the uh, courts are going to fall for that. Well, I, yes. Thank goodness. But the, you know, the lawyers do have a certain point when they turn around and they make the argument that discovery in criminal cases is crucial to a fair and just judicial system. My biggest fear, of course. my biggest fear is that now, since these lawyers are not going to be able to review, you know, these 40,000 plus hours worth of tape. They're now going to give the um, defendant the opportunity for an additional appeal based upon the court's reluctance to allow it to happen. And all this does is it overburdens our system, which already is overburdened. And that's why so many of these prosecutors are so fast within which to start threatening family, right, for prosecution if you don't take the guilty plea. And all it does is it it just perpetuates the corruption in the way the system runs. That's the way I see it. The, the, system, the system can be tough, but Michael, these are individuals and who have committed some very heinous acts. Now, they are, you make a good point, they are entitled to their due process. I think they've been getting due process. But uh, the conduct is, a lot of the conduct is really indefensible conduct. And, you know, you haven't seen, like in the, uh, in the, the um, Stuart Rhodes case, the Oath Keepers case, the jury did reject some of the counts as to some of the defendants, but it convicted, it found uh, the minimum to do serious felony convictions of every single person charged. So that's where you see the due process in action, right? We can trust our juries to do the right thing. Uh, but at the, by the same token, the conduct is serious. And I think there should be serious sentences. You know what I'm outraged about? Here we are. Here we are more than two years after the insurrection. And it's still only the uh, small fry and these Looney Tunes. Uh, who operated the militias, who have been convicted. Where are the charges against Trump and the other top co-conspirators, like the six that the January 6th committee referred for criminal prosecution? We have got to put the afterburners on, on those investigations. Uh, but I think we're going to start to see some of those charges drop for the 2020 election misconduct and for the 2016 the hush money payments. You know something about that? I won't ask you to comment. 
because you're a witness in All the right, case. All right, so let me bring but so let me know. bring it up in my next question to you then, because if obviously you're following Alvin Bragg's case, and so if you're following Alvin Bragg's case, that's the Manhattan uh, DA, uh, District Attorney of New York here. Uh, we like to refer to him as Danny. Um, so you know that Hope Hicks and Kellyanne Conway have both been in and gave interviews or appeared before grand jury i don't actually yeah. i my understanding from reports that um you know hope was before the grand jury and so was kellyanne but at least i mean that's what has been reported now of course as you rightfully stated i've been working with alvin bragg's team i'm gonna ask you what's your take on what bragg is up to and i'll try to tell you what i can without really saying too much here, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, if I were following Alvin Bragg any more closely, <laughs> you, you'd be uh, a stalker. We would be roommates. Yeah, you'd be a stalker. We'd you'd be, be charged roommates. with stalking. So yes, I'm keeping a very, I'm keeping a very sharp eye on what the office is doing. Uh, whatever the ex, and I was very critical when he came in because I did a big Brookings report analyzing the evidence of all of the financial frauds, including the campaign finance fraud, in my view, um, where you, and I admire you for it, Michael, you righteously stepped up, you said, I did it, you, and uh, you took your responsibility. I've been waiting ever since for Donald Trump to face the same accountability, because if you committed a campaign finance violation, he knew about it, we have your tape, uh, he, he, he's admitted to knowing about it in so many other ways. His signature is on uh, the paper. Uh, how can how can uh, he not be responsible? Both uh, for campaign finance violations, also New York State books and records. You can't keep phony books and records. So that's a criminal violation in New York. So I've been waiting for years, uh, and I was very disappointed when Bragg uh did not move as soon as taking over i thought the evidence was strong whatever the explanation he's back on the trail that's good i think he is going to charge and i would be surprised i think this is going to be a um uh spring of uh justice for donald trump of accountability i'm looking for action in the coming weeks or months from bragg and from Fonnie willis uh, and how uh, how appropriate an AG Tish James also is leading the way civilly. We'll have a trial later this year civilly of some of these same claims. So um, uh, my assessment is Alvin Bragg has got the goods, and I think he's going to uh, I think he's going to do something with them. Yeah. So you know, I may have to. Um, correct myself here. I don't know whether or not Hope Hicks or Kellyanne have been uh, before the grand jury. You know, there's, uh, I, you know, obviously like you, I keep. Um, yeah, you, you and I are reading the same, yeah. we're reading the same uh, New York Times article. Exactly. Certainly that we can agree that the press has reported that uh, Hope Hicks and Kellyanne Conway uh, have have both uh, been before the investigators uh, to assist on this case. And we'll see what happens. But I think those are the people you want to talk to. And 
and of course, uh, don't, you don't have to say anything, but um, uh, having studied the case, followed it closely, you know, the most important witness in the case is the host of this podcast. And I'll tell you what, we don't, we don't always agree on anything, Michael, uh, on everything. Uh, we don't always agree on everything, but you are a stone cold truth teller and your story has not wavered one iota since the first time I sat down with you. One of the first interviews I did when I was, uh, brought in as impeachment counsel. I'm like, I gotta, gotta talk to Michael Cohen. He showed me that incredible trove of documents you had maintained. And, uh, I've never known you to uh, vary your story one bit. It's, you know, it's easy when you're telling the truth. You just stick to the. You truth. just stick to the same to the same story exactly, as opposed to you know there's the old expression a lie begets a lie, which is why Donald can't you know keep his facts straight because he doesn't even tell the truth about his name. Hence the John you know uh, what was it, John Barron right when he was pretending to be his publicist, and that's that's a that's a problem. However, yeah. my specific case where you know. I was charged for things that I didn't even do. That's the crazy, that's the crazy part. And I've been yelling this shit from the top of the rooftop since the day I, even before I even met you. Only now, after six years of emotional and emotional torture, right? And, and um, incarceration and the pain that my family has had to go through. Finally, a lot of this shit is coming out and it's validating what I have been yelling from the rooftops all along. Yeah. Yes, I acknowledge I paid Stormy Daniels. I acknowledge it. We have the checks and I showed the checks on how Donald was paying it back and all of that stuff. People didn't want to hear it, you know? And speaking of no. speaking about Fox News, when you were talking about, you know, the fact that they weren't... Um, uh, fact-checking anything that was being said about the January 6th. You know, to say the same about many of the other um, news outlets as well. Nobody fact-checked, for example, Michael Avenatti when he went on to make the claims about me that he was, yeah. which all that turned out to crazy. be lies, including, I mean, including this nonsense yeah. about uh having somebody scrub from the IRS a bunch of SARS, which is a special agent um, reports, you know, um, specific activity reports and so on. I mean, this is nonsense. And they just continued to promote the lies about me over and over. And it made them a lot of money because people were intrigued. Who is this Ray Donovan, John Wick, you know, um, uh, yeah. Al Capone type character all mashed up into one? Uh. Yeah, keep laughing, my friend. You know, keep part laughing. Of it, it's, it's <laughs> Jesus Christ. This fucking if country is fucked. <laughs> you know, if we didn't laugh, we'd have to cry. I'm just thinking. Of I how have I cried, as has my family. By the way, you know this well, is this isn't course, easy shit. Course, you know, no. I'm going back in. I'm going. You know, twenty times I've been before the DA. Regarding regarding this I case, know. twenty you're, times, you're, and thank you for doing it. That's why I say you are you are the um, you are the uh, John Dean of this era, uh, breaking with the lies. You admitted you stood up. You have not wavered. You say yes. They were campaign finance violations. You took your penalty. Uh, 
on those uh, on those issues, and you're helping now. You'll get paid to do it. You're doing it as a public service. It would have been easier to say, "Ah, for." It would have been easier to say, "Ah, forget that." I really admire it. Now, all of that being said, first of all, if we didn't laugh, we would have to cry, right? We we got off both of us. Both of us. It's the amazement of it. Secondly, the specific thing I was thinking of was Avenatti. That Ghanaf was everywhere. You could not go into a green room. Literally, every time I went in to go on TV, and I'm on TV a fair amount, every time he was there. I mean, he was totally ubiquitous. And a friend of mine um, called me from L.A. pretty early in the thing and said, watch out for that guy. He's a Ghana. It's a Yiddish. He's a crook. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, it's well known in L.A. that the guy is among the bar that he puts his hand in every uh, uh, honey jar, okay, (laughs) and stay away from him. I'm glad I got the advice, stay away from him. And then, of course, the truth came out. But, you know, it's the, and he, he, of course, used you as a foil. But what an amazing turn of events it is, Michael, that that guy has now pled guilty. Um, He's uh, in jail. Um, he's been totally disgraced and discredited. And you are uh, helping bring uh, Donald Trump to justice. Uh, free man, back with your family, best-selling books, a uh, very popular podcast. And, uh, you know, uh, it's like the, uh, when I worked in the White House, President Obama had his favorite saying, one of his favorite sayings, it was actually embroidered on the rug. Dr. King loved to quote it too. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And that's what I'm counting on. I'm counting on that. People are so, when I say accountability is coming for Donald Trump, I never try not to say when, but, uh, you know, I look at the facts. I apply the law to the facts. I look at the evidence. I think Trump is going to get charged in multiple places. And people are so cynical. They say, oh, Norm, you've been saying that for years. And my answer is, I've been saying it for years. I stick by it. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. True. So then let me ask you this. In Georgia, Republican lawmakers are shamelessly giving themselves the power to remove prosecutors. Now, Fannie Willis may be the target, but they probably, I I mean, I don't think that they can fire her before she files indictments in this Trump voter fraud case. I mean, it's just that's a dangerous precedent. What's your thoughts on this? You know, um, there's many a slip twixt the cup and the lip. Um, and the, uh, the Georgia legislators, even if they pass the bill and Kemp signs it into law, will still have to remove her. Um, the legislation is terrible and it is a risk. Uh, and I hate it that they're doing this, but there's serious constitutional questions, including whether they're intruding into the prosecutorial oversight functions under the Georgia Constitution of the courts. 
So the thing may not be constitutional. I think it should be fought in court. Hopefully it'll be softened. And if they do get the power, uh, hopefully they won't use it to remove or take lesser steps to impair Fonnie Willis. We know that Trump allies and fake electors themselves having serious criminal liability, like Burt Jones, have been pushing this bill. So um, it, it ain't good, but, uh, you know, we'll just have to hope for the best. Look, we and fight like hell. <laughs> and so on. Um, I don't understand. I really don't understand this concept of, well, let's hope, 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 to, to hope doesn't do shit, right? I mean, right now they are, and I'm referring to this Republican group, um, are trying to put forth, it's called House Bill 231. And 231 would create something called the Prosecuting Attorney's Oversight Commission. And this commission would have the power yeah. to discipline, to remove, and cause involuntary retirement of appointed or electric, uh, elected district attorneys or solicitor generals. Now, basically what that means is as long as you, and this is the Donald Trump line, follow my line of horseshit, right? You follow what I want you to say. You can keep your job. In essence, Jeffrey Berman, the former head of the Southern District of New York that was involved in my case, wrote in his own book that he, despite recusing himself, and you know, I have a bark complaint right now pending against him. He writes in his own book, that while he was recused, he was still taking phone calls from Maine Justice, who was pressuring him in order to change and to, and to handle certain SDNY cases, mine included, differently than the way that it was going. Now, despite the fact that he was recused, he wasn't supposed to take these calls anyway, but what he says in his book, which is troubling, is that I did just enough so that I wouldn't lose my job, so that I wouldn't be fired. That's really fucked up if you think about it. And basically what this House Bill 231 could do is, unless you go along with the Fuhrer, right, with the Supreme Leader or the Dictator, you're going to lose your job. And that's not the way the system is supposed to work. And all it's going to do is open up the floodgates, no. the Pandora's box, to more deception, to more damage to the Department of Justice. Until, unless you, again, unless you follow their message, you're gone. They'll need to, if they get the power, they'll be challenged in court because typically the legislature does not have under our separation of powers, our constitutional structure federally and in the states, these, these kinds of supervisory authorities belong with judges, not with the legislature, Michael. And it really runs the risk of uh, abusing and distorting the administration of justice. And so we'll fight it in court, the public interest community, I hope, will do that. And, uh, uh, and you know, I think if there's enough outcry, they won't dare, we hope, they won't uh, be so shameless as to try to tamper with Fani. It is possible. Don't be too tough on hope. 
we wouldn't be where we wouldn't be here if we had hope is part of what got us through those early days of Trump when he and the majority in Congress had a complete hold of the reins of power. You know, if it weren't for hope, the U.S. could have gone the way of Orban, uh, of uh, Orban's Hungary, of Erdogan's Turkey. Um, uh, it's hope that is leading those in Israel now to push back on the efforts of Netanyahu to destroy the independent judiciary there. Uh, and uh, it's an ingredient, but you make a fair point. Hope alone won't get you there. You got to use the hope to fuel action. And we've had a lot of action over the past years. Uh, that's the cocktail for change. So then speaking of Fannie Willis, because you've said that she may take one of two approaches to her indictments. I mean, you said that she could go narrow or she could go wide. Yes. Which approach do you think will be most effective? Which one do you think will get the job done quickest? And who would you indict? <laughs> you don't pull any punches with me or anybody else. Uh, you know, America, America has gotten to know your style. Michael, you're you're a fighter, and you come at me. All right. So, so which one? So which way is she going to go narrow? Is she going to go wide? Uh, all right, I'll answer that. I I do not. If I if you force me to guess, she's going to go wide. She's done it before. It's very dramatic. It's compelling for a jury. That would mean using the Georgia State RICO Racketeer Influence Corrupt Organizations Act, which allows you to sweep in. Uh, all of the behavior that happened as part of a conspiracy, as long as each defendant has committed two violations under that statute, it lists a lo the longest list of crimes, much longer than the federal RICO statute. Why do I say she's going to do that? Because she's done it before, like with the Georgia teachers cheating scandal, she did a RICO case. If she were asking me, I'm not privy to all the evidence. But if she were asking me, and I wrote this in the Times, I would favor uh, a, I have a slight lean towards the narrower case, faster, can still get very serious criminal penalties. The Georgia, uh, the, the Atlanta teacher scandal took seven months to try. You know, I'm not sure America can hold up under a seven month trial of Trump here while he's on the campaign trail. Um, I would, slightly favor the the more um tight shorter case but i don't have all the evidence she knows better and i really defer to her michael i defer to her she'll she'll make a good choice i agree with you so then since we're talking about trump and indictments and all that nonsense well thank god that the doj rejected trump's immunity claim i mean that's obviously significant and that will actually hurt him in uh some of the other cases that are pending including the civil cases but the one i really want to touch upon for a quick mm -hmm. second where do you think that Jack Smith is with these cases against Trump? I mean, the election is looming. He's made his announcement. He's intending to run, right? So shouldn't he indict soon if he's going to at all? He's going as fast as he can. But he will remember when we were kids, the ad, Paul Masson, I think Orson Welles was the spokesman for Paul Masson, and he said, we will serve no wine before it's time. We will serve no wine before it's time. 
Now, they did serve those Palmasan wines before their time, by the way, Michael. Those were horrible wines. I tasted one once. I was persuaded by the ad. Jack Smith uh, is following the same rule, but uh, unlike Orson Welles, he means it. He's going as fast as he can, but they can't serve the case before it's time. They're not going to cut corners. So I wish Smith had been appointed a year earlier, six months earlier. Um, The case did not move as quickly as it should have. That being said, um, you know, I'm confident that he is a good, tough prosecutor. He's going to get to the bottom of it as fast as he can. I had cases when I was a white collar defense lawyer where the government took years, could take nine years to charge a client. I hope that won't be here. They're going as fast as they can. I expect they'll make some decisions this year. And I, by the way, I think the Mar-a-Lago documents case could be first. That is the easiest and the best of all these cases. And you've heard me say many, many times, I still think it's the district attorney of New York. So look, let me then just move on for a quick different change in topic here. Because, I mean, this would be funny if it weren't true. But Jim Jordan's weaponization hearings have gone down in flames. You may remember he opened up that subcommittee on weaponization of government. And I have to turn around. I want to do a quick shout out and hoping that, of course, Jamie Raskin continues to get better and a thank you to him and a thank you to Steve Cohen for actually bringing up my specific case as it relates to Trump administration's weaponization of the Department of Justice against, you know, um, one of his critics. Hence, of course, my book, Revenge. But... His witnesses are bogus, and Democrats just continue to keep outsmarting him. So, knowing Jim Jordan, where does he go from here? I mean, do you think that the public is following any of this? Uh, I think that you only get one first impression in life, and Jim Jordan has squandered it. His weaponization, uh, uh, so-called subcommittee, uh, has been a total flop. The whistleblowers that they've put forward are not real whistleblowers. The claims they've put forward are not genuine claims. I was talking to a friend uh, who was on the staff of the famous Church Commission, the bipartisan um, congressional body that actually uh, uncovered uh, abuses by the United States government using genuine whistleblowers. And we agree. This is a a complete, uh, this is a complete sham. And I think the American people, the press and others see what he's doing is not real. So he had no credibility in my eyes to start with. I wrote a long piece denouncing this um, clown show after the first hearing and taking Jordan to task. Uh, This is certainly a um, uh, lost opportunity. Yeah. So tell us then how Andrew Warren is standing up to Ron DeSantis. And for my listeners, in case you don't know, Andrew Warren is the state's attorney that was ousted by DeSantis in August. I mean, he just happens to be a Democrat who pledged not to use his office to go after people who were seeking abortions. Yeah. Yeah. 
he didn't even pledge that actually. He 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 pledged that he would follow the law, uh, but uh, he is dubious about some of the extreme legal positions uh, under abortion. He's he won his case. The judge said DeSantis violated uh, both the federal constitution, Michael, and the Florida constitution, but the judge said it was a federal judge. He didn't have the power to order relief. Um, So DeSantis has chalked up a staggering amount of these constitutional violations. Uh, this one is on appeal. Warren has appealed. He's going to the 11th Circuit. It's on a rocket docket. The first brief is due next week. And um, I think he's a fighter to expose DeSantis. DeSantis, in my mind, is uh, the other most dangerous person in America besides Donald Trump because uh, he looks to be Trump's most serious competition, both for the Republican presidential nod nomination but also for the um assaulter in chief of the rule of law and that is a tremendous danger we cannot afford to have a more effective version of trump leading the charge against the american constitution so you know we got to stay vigilant you've seen it that's why your voice is so important you've seen it from the inside you recognize these demagogues and we got to call desantis out yeah so look norm my friend, as you know, the hour goes by quick on mea culpa, as much as I'd like to keep you for another hour. What? Yes, I have one last question for you. All right. There are new laws in Alaska that now discriminate against gay people. LGBTQ protections are being removed nationwide. Florida, our dear friend Ron DeSantis, has introduced the Don't Say Gay Bill, right? Drag queens and trans people are also now being persecuted. I mean, all you got to do is scratch your head and say, you know, what's going on? My question to you, how can we stop this trend of our rights being systematically taken from us, especially after seeing what happened with, you know, the road decision? What do we need to do, Norm? Well, the road decision was followed by a repudiation at the ballot box. And I think above all, what we need to do is remember that every voter, every American is on the front lines of the battle for American democracy. And uh, we should act as if um, our vote is the deciding vote. Because if that were true, people would get out and vote to defend our rights. If we can, I think we should aim for, uh, you know, I'm an optimist, but I think we should have a program to called Everybody Votes. And we get our friends and neighbors, our acquaintances, we text, we call, we email, we visit to get everyone you know to vote. Be, as if democracy depends on it, because it does. Look at these midterm elections we just came through, Michael. In state after swing state, you had the crazy Donald Trump election-denying acolytes who were running for office. The Kerry Lakes, the Mark Finchams, the Abe Hamadays, to name the Georgia, the uh, Arizona ticket. Um, the voters in those swing states repudiated 
those folks. If Carrie Lake were governor, I don't think that the uh, 2024 election uh, would get a fair shake in uh, Arizona. If it's a close election, I would be very concerned she would cheat. Look at the crazy things she says and does. She's still trying to litigate. She claims she won that election. It's ridiculous. So um, that's what we have to do. We have to vote and more. We have to organize. We have to speak out. We have to each of us do everything in our power if democracy is precious to us. We saved it in 2020. We saved it again in 2022. And we're going to have to keep doing that in all ways, but particularly at the ballot box in the years ahead. And, uh, you know, not everybody is uh, Michael Cohen, who has the ability to go in and testify and directly help the justice system, or even a Norm Eisen, who litigates these cases, or is invited to speak and write publicly about them. But everybody, every American adult can vote. And I wish every single one of them would. That's the most important answer to your question. Well, to my hopeful and optimistic friend, yes, we have to keep fighting. And I will keep fighting. And I know you're a fighter. And so, and I thank you for your continued fight, for your wisdom, your insight, and just for being normizing. I can't thank you enough. So Right back at you. Thank you for also joining us today on Maya Culpa, and I will speak to you very, very soon, my friend. Talk soon, Michael. Thanks for having me. And now for today's Maya Culpa. The contemptible idea that the federal government has been weaponized against conservatives is dangerous and wrong. But understand, it's all part of their poor loser strategy to try and win the next election or to incite a civil war. Somehow, they think they will come out on top either way. They're apparently not history buffs. You read to understand history. So, for a while, I thought the book ban that Ron Santis was waging on poor old Florida was just more his ham-fisted grandstanding. Ron trying to make his whole state look like someplace that you'd never want to visit. Book banning just seemed like a bad marketing ploy. Then there were those pictures of empty school library shelves that I found disturbing, but hoped were isolated instances. But I was wrong. I mean, this shit is real, and it's very fucking scary. At a recent event challenging criticism of his classroom book restrictions as a hoax, Ron Boy released a bogus video suggesting only porn and hate are targeted for removal. Well, yeah, and guess what, Ron? I call bullshit. Show us the criteria for banning a book and how you came up with it. And tell us why you think this is good for our children or for society in general. Because the answer is it's not just teachers anymore who are protesting this rotten book ban. It's some of the country's most well-known authors, such as Jody Picoult, Toni Morrison, and James Patterson. I mean, can you believe James Patterson has been pulled off library shelves? The removal list includes Picoult's novel, The Storyteller, about the granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor who meets an elderly former SS officer. The book contains some violent scenes told in flashbacks from World War II and an assisted suicide. Banning the storyteller is shocking, as it is about the Holocaust and has never been banned before, Picoult told the Washington Post. 
Martin County is the first to ban 20 of my books at once, Picoult said, slamming such bans as a shocking breach of freedom of speech and freedom of information. Martin County, in the southeastern part of the state, is heavily Republican. But come on, Republicans read too, don't they? Picoult goes on to say, and I quote, most of the books pulled don't even have a single kiss in them. They do, however, include gay characters and issues like racism, disability, abortion rights, gun control, and other topics that might make a kid think differently from their parents. There is actual proof that marginalized kids who read books about marginalized characters wind up feeling less alone, Picoult says. That books bridge divides between people. Book bans create them, and she's right. Now I'm guessing that the parents who support these bans don't really read, or that they read just enough to justify a ban. Plays and even manga are visually novels that are being banned. And why? Because someone is trying to control kids' minds. The deliberately vague set of parameters for banning a book in Florida, along with the threat of frightening penalties, has created an atmosphere of uncertainty and fear as censorship often does. So, while the Republicans are crying that the government has been weaponized against them, they are actively working against all of us. While they scream that Twitter banned their tweets, they are stealing books off the shelves. Now remember folks, censorship is a weapon. Now, I'm not trying to dwell on America's problems, but some of them are just now becoming clear to me. I'm still astounded that we are here, and while I work out possible solutions, I'm just going to call it like I see it. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.